Welcome to the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast. My name is Kayla and I'm a personal trainer, entrepreneur, and mindset coach. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you all the goods through interviews with powerful women, sharing my experience coaching and training clients, and my personal insights to get you living fiercely in your life. So let's get to it. Welcome to episode number two. My name is Kayla and I'm the host and creator of the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast. Today I'm interviewing Liz Zubak. We met through Good Life Fitness downtown Toronto and became close friends very quickly. I'm interviewing her today because after we started to get to know her, I learned that she has a very powerful story and has overcome some major obstacles in her life physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually that are extremely inspiring. For me, she is a prime example of someone who is a fierce living lady. So here we go. So welcome, Liz. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and your willingness to be vulnerable and to get your story out to the world. First of all, Kayla, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm so honored to have been chosen as one of the first females to be talking on living in fierce alignment. So thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really excited to share with you. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what brought you to Toronto, what are you up to right now? I'm 24 years old. I'm from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Lived there until I was 21 years old. Moved to Toronto to come to George Brown College for culinary nutrition. I'm a former bodybuilder. I competed in the figure category. And I was just finding bodybuilding food is so bland and boring, and I hated eating my meals. I dreaded them every day for four months. And I made it my mission to go to culinary school in nutrition to figure out how to make healthy food taste good and to share that with others. Why did you decide to come to Toronto and not look for something in Thunder Bay or look for somewhere mm-hmm. else in Canada or you know around the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I was accepted three times over into our culinary program in Thunder Bay, and that's at Confederation College. And there was just something holding me back from it. I just didn't resonate with these courses that I was looking at at Confed and other colleges. And then I found the nutrition program at George Brown and that just really stuck with me because it really was the balance between healthy and food and not just pastries and butter and lots of other fats and yeah stuff. it was what I wanted to study I remember when I first met you I knew that you were into bodybuilding and nutrition but you also have this story from before that where you were into singing so I found this really interesting because you left that and you got into bodybuilding and nutrition, so what was the story with that? Yeah, I know it's two completely different worlds, and a lot of people kind of laugh when I say I went from singing to bodybuilding, like, there's no relationship between the two, really. There actually is, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. So, I started singing probably around the age five, four or five, when parents start putting their kids into all, like, sports and activities, that kind of stuff. So I was a choir girl, and then I started doing singing lessons, and I absolutely fell in love with it, and we realized, hey, there's actually kind of something there. Maybe this girl can sing. And so we kept pushing it. I fell in love with it. I competed in so many different singing competitions in all kinds of categories that you can imagine, from jazz to country to classical Musical theater was definitely my favorite, though. I love to become somebody else in a short period of time and to make other people feel what I was feeling. So what some people don't know is that there's actually provincials and nationals for singing uh, in music festivals just as if there is for sports. So that's what I was into as well. And I went to provincials a couple of times and placed really well. And my dream was to be on Broadway. I went to a music camp out in New York for a few weeks, and I fell in love with everything out there. Uh, I just, I knew that I wanted to continue performing, and it was just so much fun. 
I wanted to go to school in New York and it was really expensive and I knew it was completely out of my reach but I still had a dream. Um, after high school I went to university in Thunder Bay at Lakehead and I did classical training for voice there with piano as my secondary instrument and it was good but opera is not my favorite thing to sing so I enjoyed the fact that I was learning how to use my instrument more and more powerfully but I knew that I wasn't I didn't want to continue down that path of opera it just wasn't my forte as you may call within the first couple months of going to university for voice we had a performance and the conductor was asking for more power more sound from our choir and me being a solo singer for numerous years i took it upon myself to push and push and to give more power like he was asking for and I actually damaged my left vocal cord and it took us a few weeks to realize what had happened because I slowly started to lose my voice and it became lower and lower and my voice didn't sound like my voice anymore and it was becoming strenuous to try and talk. So I went for a few scopes with a ears and nose throat specialist doctor and yeah she did some scopes that went up my nose and down my throat and they looked at my vocal cords and you have to kind of hum so she could see what's going on with your vocal cords while you're talking or singing and yeah she said that there was a hemorrhage on my left vocal cord and I had to take weeks and months off of talking and singing Talking and singing. Yeah, I really? had to write down our text, everything I wanted to say. <laughs> well, that sounds like every millennial's dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, not for this girl. But yeah, it was it was devastating. It got to the point where I loved singing in the car. I loved singing in the car. And I was definitely one of those crazy women you'd stop at a red light, you look beside, and she's like just singing, yeah. like bursting out into song. That's awesome. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And I'd have to mouth the lyrics, the words, because I was just, I miss it so much. And it was hard to give up. Something that comes so easy and natural, and it's your life. And all of a sudden, it's gone in an instant. So you lose your voice, and you said that it obviously changed how you were communicating with the world. You had to text, write things down. You had to mouth lyrics when you're singing mm -hmm. in the car. What other impacts did you experience, like mentally and emotionally, from this? So when I lost my voice, it felt a lot like losing myself. Uh, I lost a piece of who I was. Not only could I not sing, but I couldn't speak either. And that was definitely a challenge. Uh, I felt like I had lost my purpose. As a singer, your voice is your instrument. And it's not like breaking a guitar string where you can go to the shop and get it fixed or fix it yourself. Your vocal cords are so much more precious and fragile and it takes so much longer to heal them than it would with any other instrument. It's internal and so I definitely felt like I had lost some identity because for years people, family, friends, strangers, people in church, they all knew me as a singer and I would perform Every Christmas Eve Mass, I would sing O Holy Night as everyone's coming up for communion, and all of a sudden, this one year, I couldn't do it. And it was heartbreaking because everyone was anticipating it because it had been a like tradition for so many years. And still to this day, after, I don't even know how long it's been, I don't want to say five or six years since I've stopped singing, but people are still asking if I'm singing at Christmas Eve Mass. So I lost a big chunk of who I was when I went through that damage. Yeah, that's crazy. And it just goes to show how, not that we take things for granted, but in a sense that, you know, that was just so natural for you. Oh, you're yeah. singing, you're doing all of this. And it's like all of a sudden it just gets taken away from you and it crushes your identity and then all of a sudden your reputation that you have that you're yeah. you know so proud of and striving for yeah. is gone right like that's that's a really crazy experience 
So tell me, what did you overcome? What did you learn? What did you let go? And what did you embrace from this experience of losing your voice? So despite having lost my voice, I kept showing up to all of my classes. I kept studying. I kept learning and listening. I sat there and followed all of the music as, you know, we were in choir. I was listening to everyone and participating in my brain, but not singing. And I knew the information that I was taking in and soaking in at this time would help me for when I was able to sing again. So I never stopped showing up, which I think is very important. Of course. Uh, not only to physically be there, but to mentally be there and not to let yourself go. This was also around the time where I was introduced to bodybuilding. Uh, I had been going to the gym for about two years, but I was constantly doing the same thing. And as you may know, that's what they call insanity, is doing the same thing over and expecting a different outcome. So I was insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I would go to the gym, I'd do cardio for an hour, two hours, like I was a little cardio bunny, or I would do the weights with extremely light weight and train every single muscle group. Oh my gosh. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And I would work out in the women's only, because we had a, a gym back at home, it's women's only and co-ed on the main floor. And one day I had the courage to go down on the main floor where my boyfriend at the time was working out so I went to go find him after my workout and I saw this woman by the water fountain and she was a she was a bodybuilder and this is the first female bodybuilder I'd ever seen I hardly even knew anything about bodybuilding that competing even existed I just wasn't involved in that world right I was involved in music and yeah. drama and plays and musicals and not dumbbells and machines and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw this woman, I'm like, oh my god, she is gorgeous. There was just this air about her, like she like you could tell she was a hard worker. You could tell she had confidence. And some of which I had, but not a whole lot of. And I said to my boyfriend at the time, like, man, like I wanna go up and talk to her. Like I want I want to, like, I want to know, what, what do you do? Like, what is this? Like, I've never seen this. And he said, no, you're not going to go up to her. You're too shy. And I somehow mustered up the courage to go over to her. And the only words that I could mutter were, um, how do I look like you? How can, how can I look like you? And she just started to laugh. And she and her coach kind of talked to me about bodybuilding and, I was just in awe, and from there, I just wanted to do what she did. So you see this mysterious woman by the water fountain <laughs> who basically steals your heart. Yeah, pretty much. And you decide then and there that you want to start doing bodybuilding. So what happened after that? So after that, you know, I kind of left starstruck, and... There would be times I'd see her again at the gym, and I'd wave at her, and she'd be like, oh, hey, you, and she would forget my name, and I'd be like, I'm Liz. Fangirl. <laughs> yeah, so fangirl. And I, you know, kept kind of bugging her. I'm like, you know, can you teach me how to work out? And so she started to teach me, like, I'd work out with her a couple times a week, and I fell in love with it. This was like a whole other view of training, like something I hadn't experienced because I didn't know what I was doing before at all. And so to be told, you're doing this for this reason, we're going to do this, like build muscle. She was laying down the groundwork and teaching me how to build the structure I was now designed to look like. So we talked more about competing and I decided, I'm like, you know what? I want to do it. And I was a stick, like 93 pounds soaking wet. I had no muscle at all, but I had this drive that I didn't even have with singing. It was very different. And 
I decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna train really hard for a year. She's gonna teach me the ropes, and I'm gonna step on stage, and that's exactly what I did. But there were definitely days where I was frustrated. I would look at my coach while we're working out, and I would just think, I just want to be her. I just want to look like her. And how long is it gonna take for me to get there? And it it taught me a lot of patience. With singing, I was so used to it coming naturally. I really didn't have to try. I didn't have to work hard at it. It just came naturally. And with bodybuilding, as we all know, it is the complete opposite. If you don't put in the work, it's going to show. There's no getting around it. Okay, so let's look a year ahead. You've made it. You're on stage. You did what you said you're going to do. How did you place? What happened? And then what were your plans moving forward after this first competition? So everything was going great. We were pretty happy with where I had all the progress I had made in one year. And this woman who was my role model and my idol became a best friend, more like a sister. And she was actually pregnant at the time that I was doing my show. And she still managed to fly from Thunder Bay to Toronto and then drive me from Toronto to Coburg as she's like growing a baby inside of her <laughs> and she was calling me Auntie Lizzie. I was going to be the aunt of her soon-to-be child which That's was amazing. It felt so awesome to develop such a great relationship with such an empowering woman. So she came with me to my show and she let me wear the suit that she wore for her very first show. It was this beautiful, like, turquoise figure suit. And my goal going into the show was place top five. If you place top five, you can go to provincials. So that was our goal. I, I didn't want to expect too much because it was my first show. I had no idea who I would be competing against. And that's the thing with bodybuilding is... You can prepare as hard and, and good as you can. You're never going to know who shows up. So all you can do is try your best and do your best. But on show day, it just happens to be who they're looking for that day. And so I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself. I wanted to enjoy it and really soak it all in. So we show up, and one piece of advice that... Sarah's mom had given me because Sarah's been competing for years. I think she's done seven or eight shows. This piece of advice, which always is stuck in my brain, is don't look at the other girls. Focus on you because you're going to psych yourself out. So just focus on you. This is your day. Don't look at the other girls. Just do what you went there to do. So that was my goal as well, trying not to look at all these other women. And I remember being backstage heels on spray tan on we're getting ready to go out and it's our time finally after four months of dieting and there's this woman beside me and she's pretty jacked like she looks really good and I'm like hey try not to get in your head yes yeah, she looks good but this is your time and I, w I was pretty nervous so we walked out I'm in the shortest category and figure and the shortest and youngest one in my category and I'm the last one to walk out. And so we walk out. And if you've been to a bodybuilding show, you want to be placed in the center. So they'll move you around to compare you to all the other girls on stage. You want to be placed in the center because that means they're comparing everybody else to you. And they called my number and they put me in the center stage. And I just hear Sarah screaming out in the stands. And it was the best feeling my lips were shaking from like smiling and they kept me there and I, I won first I got first place in my first show which was just an amazing feeling because my my goal is just place top five so went back home and started training again let's get bigger for provincials I went to provincials and I placed top five I got fifth in that show it was higher caliber um, more women in my category. It was a lot tougher of a show. But I got fifth, which just squeezed me in um, to getting into nationals because you had to place top five at this time. So I made it to nationals, and 
that's when I moved uh, to Toronto and I began my culinary career. I was going to be um, training and prepping, dieting for nationals while in culinary school. And it was 100% my plan to do so and to get other classmates to taste test my food and my assignments and to not give in or cave in and to literally compete at nationals while becoming a chef. That's so crazy. You know what I love is that this whole thing started with you seeing this woman at the freaking water fountain <laughs> and you're then boyfriend challenging you by saying, oh no, you're too shy to go and talk and to her. I absolutely was extremely shy at the time, which is kind of weird because I would step on stage in front of thousands of people on a regular basis, but I was too scared to talk. And that was another part of why I loved bodybuilding so much because despite losing my vocal cords and having to take a little retirement with singing... I had another reason to step on stage and to put everything into my, my little amount of time on stage yet again, which bodybuilding and music don't go hand in hand, but that, that stage time, it, it felt really good to get back up there again. That's really cool. Yeah, so that's, you know, they sort of tie in together that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, that's I just think it's so cool that it just took that one second of courage. And, you know, there's quotes out there, like, just be courageous for 20 seconds and oh, it'll yeah. that's last a lifetime. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And then you discovered a whole new passion and you got to push yourself in another way and find something to, dare I say, replace singing. Mm -hmm. But it, it was a new opportunity for you. Yeah. And, so that's, and that is so cool. Not only that, but I have met my best friend. And to this day, she she's more of a sister. Like I've never had a sister. I just had a brother growing up. And... She, she, I call her my sister. People say we look alike. We have similar personalities. I absolutely love her. And she's had her second baby now. And I'm still Auntie Lizzie. That's adorable. <laughs> I love it. So after this competition, you came to Toronto. You started your culinary school. You were training and getting ready to compete at national level, which is the highest level that you were to compete at so far, right? So this is happening. And then what? Yeah, so if you're in the bodybuilding world or if you know people who compete, when you're at that national level, you have the opportunity to win your pro card. And it's very difficult to do that. You not only have to place first in your category, but you have to place first overall. So it's very difficult to do that. But I had that opportunity, and that was a goal in mind. Like, when you compete... You generally compete for your pro card. That's what any bodybuilder would, would love to have under their name. You know, Liz Zubak, IFBB Pro. That's amazing. So I, I'm going to culinary school. I'm literally going from school, eat, train, sleep. Um, I was living in a dorm and... I was like a little bit older than some people that were in there. I was like 20 at the time and some people were 19. Some people aren't even legal drinking age yet. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the old woman in this <laughs> dorm room. Nice. I literally <clears throat> was going to bed 9 p.m. almost every night. Like it was sleep, train, eat, repeat. That was my life. I, uh, I told you about this 93 pound stick version of me. At this time, um, where I am in culinary school, I had I was 140 pounds, so I was so growing. You, you put on 50 pounds, like about 50 pounds in a year? Uh, two, over two, just oh, over two years. Over two yeah. years, wow, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Okay. Yeah, so it, it was pretty incredible. Um, I was happy with where I was. I knew I wanted to go so much further, but I could see how far I had come, and... So I'm training for nationals, and the weights just started to get heavier for me, but I wasn't going up in weight. It was just getting harder to lift. I felt like a rusty machine. Like, in my shoulders and my armpit area, it was getting harder to lift my arms. 
So I went for a few massages thinking that's always the cure for every pain. Usually it would always do the trick, a couple massages here and there, pain's gone, keep training. But it wasn't going away. And summer rolled around, I went back to Thunder Bay for the summertime and pain was just getting worse. So I started seeing chiropractors, massage therapists, physiotherapists at home and I heard the words thoracic outlet syndrome thrown out there but I went for an ultrasound and they found bilateral so both sides um, pec major tendonitis so they did an ultrasound found tendonitis and they just said okay this is what you have take time off of the weights and so I did I, I didn't lift upper body for six months I kind of had to give up going to nationals so by doing that, I lost my title and my ability to go to nationals and I had to drop down to a different level. So I lost that. So it was, it was really devastating. I felt like I had given up so much that I had worked for, just like with singing. It was kind of going through the same thing in an identity crisis because I had built up so much and become such a stronger person, not only physically but mentally, and now it was being lost again. So I, I took time off after being told it's tendonitis because it should usually take, a, you know, so many weeks and you should be okay to train again. And it wasn't going away. And I saw sports medicine doctors. I saw massage therapists and chiropractors and acupuncturists and naturopaths. And I can't even list how many different uh, professionals I've seen. And... I, I finally I had gotten so fed up it was let's see December 2016 when all of this pain started happening and finally in July of 2018 I was like I've had enough I can't handle this I've given up so much and I went to a sports medicine doctor here in Toronto and they were and I was looking at doing PRP it's a form of therapy. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. No, what is it? Do you mind just giving a little yeah, yeah, so definition? Basically, they remove some of your blood and they spin it around in this like platelet thing and they inject it back in. It's supposed to help with healing and stuff. So I was like, I've tried everything. I've I eat healthy. I'm an like I'm a healthy young female. I've given up training. What more can I do? So I've tried every form of therapy. And so I'm like, okay, let's just go see the sports doctor, see what he says. And he lifted my arms above my head and had me do this test where I, like, flash my hands, open and close, open and close for, like, a minute straight. And he put his fingers up to my wrist. And he said, you have no pulse in either of your wrists. And <laughs> that just blew my mind. I was like, what? I had been told I had tendonitis and... He, he dug into my pec with his fingers and was putting pressure on it. He's like, yeah, you have tendonitis, but it's not that bad because you wouldn't be able to handle the amount of pressure I'm putting on you. And so he, again, I heard this word, thoracic outlet syndrome, sent me for a Doppler ultrasound, which measures your blood flow. So they hook you up to a whole bunch of machines throw your arms in a whole bunch of crazy positions and they measure how much blood is flowing through. And I went back after the results and I saw him and he said I was confirmed for thoracic outlet syndrome, which was bittersweet. I finally had an answer, but now how? Do, where do we go from here? And he sent me to a surgeon, a vascular surgeon here in Toronto and that's when I got the most devastating news. Yeah, I remember we met in March 2018. So I got to see you at work at Good Life. And it was, I remember it was tough for you because obviously you can't see what you're dealing with. The only thing we know is what you tell us. Or, you know, when I would see you're having a tough day because your energy is low because you're in pain, you're dealing with that. And I remember when you found out, like, you were diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome, that that was, like you said, it was a bittersweet moment because you finally had an answer and it was like, oh my God, I could finally get 
the right treatment and stop seeing like hundreds of people exactly. and getting all these weird answers and no solutions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like a little flashlight with Sean in the dark. So I finally had somewhere to start moving towards. I was not so in the dark anymore, right? I, I had an answer. So it was time to figure out where do we go from here? So I was really looking forward to meeting the vascular surgeon and having the awesome mom I have, she came with me to support me and we went to Sunnybrook Hospital here in Toronto and met with a vascular surgeon. So I was really looking forward to this day. I might have been a little bit too hopeful, but what the heck. So we're waiting in a doctor's office. I can't tell you how many doctor's offices I've been in. And the surgeon enters, and he didn't even remove the pen out of his hand to shake my hand. And he was older, I'd say probably about 70 years old. And he started reviewing my papers. Like, he didn't go over it beforehand. So he took about five, six minutes looking at all my files. And then he walks over to me and says, okay, you have thoracic outlet syndrome. And I'm like, yes, like, I know. Now what do we do? Like, I, I already know my diagnosis. Okay, let's figure out a game plan. And he immediately went into the risks of surgery and saying that 80% of this surgery is successful, but a lot of the, that 80% start to experience their symptoms down the road. 20% become worse off after having the surgery. And my mom said, well, if this was your child, what would you want them to do? And he said, I would not let them have the surgery. And she said, okay, so if we're not doing surgery, well, and like, what form of therapy can help her? Like chiro, physio, massage? And he said no to everything. He said, no form of therapy will help you. You just have to limit the use of your arms. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, very, very easy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I have gone to culinary school and I've dedicated two years of my time to work with healthy food and help others through that. And I'm currently in school to be a personal trainer. I'm like in a strength and conditioning course online and I want to help people through that and find fitness and find that passion and love that I felt from working out. And he's telling me to limit the use of my arms. So I, I said, how am I supposed to do that? And then he went into telling me how I chose the wrong career path. And I immediately just start crying because I'm thinking, uh, this is all being stripped away from me again. I'm losing who I am yet again. And I don't know if I can do that. So I look over to my mom and I say, mom, how am I supposed to live like this? And he looks at me and he says, so what, you're going to get the surgery? You're going to risk it all? He raised his voice with me and I looked at him and I said, well, maybe I might have to. And I said, I want a referral to see somebody else. And he basically told me to come back to him when I became fully disabled. Those were his exact words, fully disabled. And I had already felt disabled enough. I can't shower. I can't put on my makeup. I can't carry grocery bags. I can't lift weights. I felt so stripped of what a 23-year-old female should be doing, should be able to do. I'm supposed to be getting my career on track. I'm supposed to be doing what I want with my life, and I can't do what I love the most. I think it's so crazy how First, you find your passion with singing. Like you said, it was super natural for you. Almost didn't have to try as hard as when you were bodybuilding. And you discovered working out, and then you get into this, and all of a sudden these symptoms flare up. You deal with this for, you know, almost a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you do is you see this doctor, and they basically tell you, okay, you know, time to throw in the towel. That's it, right? And that right away obviously seems like a really crap experience. 
but it's also a, a gift from the universe in a way to test you. Mm -hmm. So after this happened, you left the doctor's office, what happened? So I made it, <laughs> I wouldn't even say I made it to the parking lot because I was crying down the hallways, the whole way out of the hospital with my mom by my side. People were staring at me, like, what just happened to this girl? So I made it outside. We stopped at a bench, and we just paused there for a minute. I let myself cry. I let myself feel bad. Like, this, this is this what I'm going to have to do? Like, for the rest of my life, it's just going to get worse. So I cried, and then I remembered who I am, and I said... I don't take no for an answer. So I told my mom, this is not going to be my life. And give me a few years and I will show up on that surgeon's doorstep, flexing my muscles at him. Love it. Yes. So after that, uh, it was about four weeks. I got a referral to a new surgeon. And he's actually here at St. Mike's, so just across the street from me, which is super convenient. And I went to see him. I had to do the exact same uh, Doppler ultrasound that I did for the last surgeon. So it, it took up some time where I could have been en route to healing. But I think I needed to hear no in order to project myself into this is not going to be my life. I'm going to make sure I get better. And how can we do that? So I met with this new surgeon. We went over it. And he actually took the time to look at my body. He like felt my neck and he lifted my, my arms above my head. And he noticed that my hands were going white, which the other surgeon didn't even take time to do. So before we knew that my nerves were being compressed, and then this surgeon found out, okay, her veins are also compressed because her hands are going white. She has no pulse. And so he said, this runs the risk of developing a blood clot, which can be life-threatening. You can have a heart attack. You can have a stroke, an aneurysm. It's very risky. And with thoracic outlet syndrome, you're at a higher percentage of developing a blood clot than the average person. So he suggested going ahead and doing the surgery. And he said he's done a number of these surgeries. He feels very confident in it. And he said he could relieve my veins by over 90% and relieve my nerves by 60 to 70%. So after hearing that, okay, I have this rare disease and it can affect my life in a very negative way, even more so than it already has, we have to do something about it. So that was in September of 2018. And right after that appointment, we booked uh, my two surgeries. So we said, okay, February 2019 and June 2019 um, are going to be my two operations. So I, I had healing in sight. And fast forward, here we are today with one arm done and one on their way. That's awesome. That's so crazy how, what was the relief for you when you obviously saw the, the second surgeon and he gave you the news like, hey, you know, you're at higher risk for blood clots. Yeah. But even though you knew that you could go into surgery, mm -hmm. what was that moment like for you? It was what I wanted to hear. And going into the second appointment with a, a new surgeon, my mom had hesitations about surgery because of how our first experience went with the other surgeon. Obviously, we, we were worried. So she was uh, against surgery, and I was, even though despite what I had heard, I felt that it was the right option for me because I had been already going through years of pain, and I didn't see how it could end without going through surgery. So after hearing that about, okay, like, this could really, it could really affect your life, I, I was all in. I knew I had to be. There you go. That's amazing. I love it. So through this experience of being diagnosed with TOS, the pain, seeing the different surgeons, what did you overcome? What did you learn? 
What did you have to let go of? And what did you embrace about all of this? Mm -hmm. So it has been quite the journey, um, one that you can hardly sum up in a book or a podcast or videos. It's it You go through so many emotions, and I have learned so many different lessons from it. Um, one of the things that I learned, which it took me a long time, and it, there was a lot of frustration caused because of it, I kept the bodybuilder mindset. I wanted to keep eating the same amount of food, the same meals. I wanted to keep training the way I was. I wanted to look like a bodybuilder. And my body wasn't capable of doing that. And it took me a long time to realize I had to shift my goals into something that was more obtainable for me in this moment. So I was getting extremely frustrated and down on myself and depressed because I still had the same goals in my mind that my body wasn't capable of doing. So I had to reevaluate. I had to set new goals that were obtainable. And that really helped shift my mindset. So that was a major uh, learning point for me going through a chronic illness. Um, another thing I had to realize was chronic pain is exhausting. And you cannot push yourself the way you used to. And you have to respect that and give yourself the breaks that you need and deserve and surround yourself with people that understand that. Um, you know, unfortunately, as much as I loved working in the kitchen and in a restaurant in that environment, I did have to go on medical leave at my job, which I loved so much, which was really hard to give up. But I knew I needed to save my energy and I couldn't keep physically moving the way I was in the kitchen. So um, that's when I, I dropped that job and I was only working at Good Life two days a week. And I know that's not acceptable for a lot of people. It's not, uh, you can't really do it. Like how do you, how do you give up your money maker, right? But if you can't give up your job, figure out ways that you can take care of yourself, whether it's a hot bath at the end of the day, changing up your diet, like eating more nutritious foods that aren't going to inflame you. You have to figure out how you can help yourself. And that, that's a really hard thing to do. Another hard thing to do is understanding and accepting that nobody but you and some people that have the same condition will understand what your battle feels like. And it can cause, chronic pain can cause a big stress in relationships and friendships with, and with family, friends, or partners because people don't understand what it's like unless they live with chronic pain or have the same condition. And you have to accept that people may not understand. And you can't put, like, don't let yourself push away people because of your pain. Keep those people who matter close to you and let them help motivate you and, and get you better. Accept their love. Um, and have somebody to hold you accountable for performing, you know, physio or meditation or manifestation uh, or your workouts, whether it's a personal trainer or a best friend a partner, or even if you don't have those people, put a daily reminder on your phone just to do what you need to do in order to heal. So those are a lot of the lessons that I learned along the way. And it didn't, it didn't come naturally. It took a lot of time and it took a lot of sadness and hurt to break through and figure out how can I get on top. So it really sounds like you had a lot of lessons learned, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You had to restructure your daily routines, figure out how to do self-care, learn, like learn in a way how to communicate with people so that they can understand. Because as we'll get into a little bit later, a chronic illness like this that's invisible, mm -hmm. how are people supposed to know, right? Yeah. So considering that this unique experience, how would you have reacted differently 
or do you have any regrets with how you've gone through this experience so far? I really beat myself up a lot throughout this process for not being able to perform the way that my body used to be capable of. Um, I labeled myself too much as an athlete and not enough as me, as Liz. Um, I valued the way I looked and the confidence that came along with bodybuilding and the way that you can shape your physique. I valued that too much. And I, if I could go back, I would remind myself of who I was before, before bodybuilding. And even if I'm not singing, just remember your core values. And, you know, I like to think I, I treat people well and I'm caring and I have all these other ambitions with school and try to remember other things and do not label yourself as just an athlete because you are so much more than just that. And if I could change anything, I would be a lot easier on myself. I, I wish I could be more gentle on my mind and body throughout this process. That totally resonates with me because I played rugby for 15 years and I get the mindset of being an athlete and how when you're doing something that you love and you're really good at, it becomes an identity. Mm -hmm. And then when that gets taken away, you know, for me, I didn't have a physical ailment that stopped me from playing. It was a choice because I decided to focus on other things in my life. But even though I made that choice, I was still miserable at times and I was being really hard on myself. And I think that, like you said, being gentle and just giving more self-love and paying attention to that will make that transition so much easier. What would you say to someone who has something, a passion in their life that they absolutely love and it's been taken away from them? What advice would you give to them to deal with that? If I could have this person sitting in front of me, I would first off want to tell them, you are not alone. I know how much it hurts. I know how devastating it is. I know the depressive days and how long of a journey it feels like. I get that. But I'm not going to tell you to find a new passion or a new career because that's what I've been told more times than I can count. I've been told, well, this will bring you into a new form of life or this will bring you this. And I get it. I love the positivity. But I've been there already. I, I lost singing and then I did find nutrition and, and bodybuilding. But I love that so much that I can't see myself giving it up because of the positive mental aspect that came with working out. I can't go back now. Now that I know what those endorphins feel like, I can't give that up. So I would never tell somebody who has a roadblock to pull a U-turn, go back from where you came, figure out a new destination. No. If you love something, don't give up on it. I would say instead, get out of your car in front of this roadblock, work like hell, figure out a way around it, and figure out a new plan of how to get that same goal and same intention and don't give up no matter how many times no how many no matter how many times you cry how many times you fail or how many times you're told no if you truly want something you can obtain it i love so much how you're being so bold and telling people not to give up no matter what shows up in their face I think that it's amazing how authentic that is for you to speak that way because you have a story that shows that you didn't give up and now you literally created the path that you're on, which is amazing. Like I just, I love this so much. So my question is to you now, what advice would you give to someone who's living with an invisible illness? And what do you want to say to the people who have never experienced an invisible illness? All right, so... To answer your first question, what would I say to somebody living with a chronic illness? Um, I would say you're, you're not alone. I know how alone it can feel, um, especially if 
it's rare because I it took me years before I I linked up with some women who are going through the same uh, syndrome as me. So I would say find those people. If you know if it whether or not it's thoracic outlet syndrome or if it's arthritis, whatever your condition may be, try to find people who are also suffering, whether it's a support group, that's where I found many connections. I have six or so women now that I communicate with almost on a daily basis, talking about the pain and struggle and the success. And that is so important. Um, another piece of advice I would give is that, you know, I could have taken the first surgeon's advice and said, okay, give up bodybuilding, give up being a chef, give up my passion to want to help people and just not use my arms. And I would have been miserable. And there was a quote I read once that talked about how being happy versus unhappy takes the same amount of work and it is your choice. And... I can totally agree with that. I know some situations are way more difficult than others, but that resonated with me and I decided, okay, I don't want to be miserable because I'm not a miserable person. So I have to get around this and figure out how I can be happy. Um, and yeah, for people suffering with chronic conditions, find Something It doesn't have to be a change in direction in your career or what you want to do with your life, but find things that you can take pride in and be happy in and, and things that can relax you outside of work and stress. Whether it's a hot bath at the end of the day, a cup of tea, a book, find something every day that can make you smile because the days can be very gray and there's a lot of depression that comes with chronic conditions and for those of you who are out there fighting my heart goes out to you I know it's not easy I know that there's a heck of a lot more bad days than good but I made it a mission to become TOS poster child and when going through the surgery I said I'm not doing this just for me I'm doing it for all the other people with TOS because I need to be a success story for them. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, here I am today with a pulse in my left wrist for the first time in three years and there's no stopping me. Like I can't wait to get the second surgery because I can already feel such an improvement and I'm on my way to getting my life back. Like I see myself every day I envision myself shoulder pressing again and I see it every time I'm at the gym whether it's working or training lower body I can't right now but I would see myself shoulder pressing and I see myself kayaking and doing all these crazy fun adventures that I can't wait to do and I'm not going to give up and that's what I would love to inflict on other people is positive reinforcement and for those who have never felt chronic pain I hope you never have to, but I hope that you can try to understand it, whether you know somebody with chronic pain. If you love somebody with chronic pain, then you, you can have sort of an understanding. You may not feel their pain, but you, you feel pain for seeing them go through it. And I'll admit, I was so oblivious to chronic pain before going through this. I never really considered, you know, I didn't know what thoracic outlet syndrome was. I didn't think, oh, that person could be struggling. They might have arthritis or diabetes or anything. Like you, we take it for granted so easily. And it is so important to remember that you will never know what somebody else is going through. And keep that in mind when you're upset with somebody walking really slow in front of you. Keep that in mind all the time. Like Whatever you get pissed off at somebody, you don't know what's going on in their life. They may be really suffering with something, and you'll never understand 
because that is their journey and their battle and we all have our own and it's just important to respect that in everybody. I think that's a really good point. The other thing too is that you know you're really emphasizing the chronic pain, the chronic illness and I've mentioned a few times now the invisible illness Mm -hmm. so it's like when you know say two years ago when somebody would look at you or even like a few months ago before you got surgery and they would look at you they would have no freaking idea what you were dealing with right so Mm -hmm. that's the thing right and I think it's really important we're talking about being gentle with ourselves when we transition in life Mm -hmm. we come up against something tough but I think also to be compassionate and gentle towards others because like you said we have no idea what their journey is we don't know what their battlefield's like and all of that so I think this is this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I think this is a time where you can get the message out that people are all dealing with their own warrior, like their own wars, right? Mm-hmm. And their own battles. And it's like, it's so important to consider that just living life, walking on the bus, opening doors, you know, carrying yeah. things, all of that. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap things up here, I want to ask you a final question. And that is considering all the things that have happened in the last few years, the pain that you've gone through, the surgeries, the nose, everything that you've learned about yourself and other people, what do you now see for your future? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think about my future every day and I get beyond excited. I just have this like rush of positivity and literally sunshine and blue skies and trees mostly because the future holds British Columbia, which I am so stoked about. Um, I know that that is where I'm meant to be. Uh, might be the Pisces in me. I just love the water, so I'm so excited to um, be calling that home very soon. I'm so excited for that. I see healing, and I see rehab. And I know there's still a very long road ahead. Um, You know, I have to get the other arm done, operated on as well. So that's going to take some time. And I'm really happy to see where I am today, three weeks post-op, with the range of motion I have and and the strength I have in my arm. I was expecting a lot worse, but I'm so happy with where I am today. And I can't wait now to get the other side done and finally start healing now no more surgery it's time to get strength back so I'm, I'm really excited about that and um you know this if it has brought me anything I want to help people so much more especially those with chronic conditions I want to help people find their passion and live a healthy, happy lifestyle. And I want to be that person for them. I want to be the Sarah, the bodybuilder, the woman at the water fountain. I want to be that for them and lead them into a healthy, happy life. And I definitely foresee a bodybuilding comeback in the future. Um, It's far away, but I would love to step on stage again. And I know that with all this roller coaster that's been going on for the past three years, I'm, I finally am going up, and this will all have been worth it. And I've learned so many incredible lessons from it. And I can't wait to become the woman I'm becoming. This is great. I loved hearing your story. And honestly, it's so refreshing to see someone so tiny and fierce just overcome such big obstacles like this so i want to let the people know if anyone has any questions or they want to connect with you where can they find you where can they get a hold of you right now i would say the best way to get a hold of me is through instagram um i have two accounts but my main one focuses on chronic conditions and basically my journey through thoracic outlet syndrome so you can definitely look me up. My handle is Liz Zubak, which is L-I-Z-Z-U-B-A-C-K. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Liz. I loved hearing it again. I learned new things about you, and I really find it so inspiring. I think it's going to do great 
inspiring other people, empowering them, and showing them that you don't have to live with a chronic illness the way that it is, that there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you so much for that. I want to thank everyone for listening. If you have any questions, you can find me also on Instagram at Kayla G Mindset Coaching. Thank you so much for your time today, and we will see you in the next episode.